0: Welcome to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast featuring Pastor Mark Minor, where we will journey together to help you grasp how the Bible fits together to provide a coherent, understandable, and historical book. The purpose of this podcast is not to convince, but to help you understand. Not to defend, but to connect the dots of this most amazing book. Not to debate, but to discover the plan of the Bible. There is a plan. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave us a review. It really does help us. And now... Here's Pastor Mark.
1: Well, thank you for joining again today to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. You know, I thank the listeners every time I start a new episode tonight today is episode 25. I I thank you for listening, and that's important, but I'm not looking to build a big following with uh, this podcast. What I truly am doing is uh, is looking to explain the Bible, and I'm thankful for people like yourself that have an interest in this most amazing book. We're we're in the book of Revelation now, part two of a three-part understanding of the book of Revelation. Revelation It makes more sense than any other book or anything you'll read in the New York Times or in any magazine, uh, on any podcast, including this one, or any other uh, way that you access information because the book of Revelation truly is, I believe, uh, God giving us insight as we're looking at today in episode 35, a window into the future, I read the Bible not because I have to or I get paid to. I read the Bible because I want to know what's going to happen. I want to understand people. I want to understand life. I want to understand myself. I want to see how this very complex in some ways and yet very simple in other ways world and society fits together. The book of Revelation is the culmination of all that. So that's that's where we're going today. I, I want to start out, as I usually do, just by making a couple of statements. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and that statement is simply this. I enjoy reading. It's one of my favorite hobbies, one of my favorite fascinations. Uh, every now and then, people will ask me, Mark, what, what are you reading? Maybe they're interested in, in finding some things. Maybe they just want to make conversation. I don't know. Uh, my, my reading habits are very eclectic, and that was a nice word for meaning weird, I think, uh, because I read all sorts of things. I am constantly reading. I can't eat a meal without reading a magazine or a book. I know that frustrates my wife from time to time, but it is true. I always like to have something in front of me to read, and, and I read things. Uh, a lot of the things I read now are, are areas that I have deficits in, that I've recognized now in, in my decades of life. Uh, there are certain periods of history, for example. Uh, I understood, uh, I, I began to realize uh, some years ago that I didn't know much about those four or five centuries before the birth of Christ, and so I read uh, the book, a book about Alexander the Great, uh, amazing story. I, I read about uh, Cleopatra uh, and how how much uh, impact she had on the Roman Empire. Uh, Part of it is because history fits together, and the Bible is a history book. It is a book of salvation. It is a book of life. It is a psychology book. It is a book of, of sociology. It's, it's the greatest book. It's God's heart and life to us. But in, in so many ways, as we focused on here in, in these episodes, it is a book of history, and that history fits together. It's built one layer upon another, one century, one millennia, if you will, upon another. And so I I read a lot of things about history. Recently, I read David McCullough's book on President Truman, partly because uh, this man dropped two bombs on the nation of Japan uh, he's just a man from Missouri, president of the United States. Had only been president 87 or so days when he found out about the atomic bomb. He knew nothing about it beforehand uh, when he was vice president, but now when President FDR dies, he, he finds out this amazing, frightening thing. And, and he makes a decision to, to drop this bomb or these two bombs that end the lives of one quarter of a million people instantly. Now, now, that's a heavy-duty thing, and how do those decisions get to be made by human beings? I mean, what kind of impetus is there on you And uh, when you realize that you have brought the nuclear age into the culture? Uh, how, does, how does a human being handle that? I, I reread about every year Aldous Huxley's book, Brave New World. The reason I read it is because it's like looking into a mirror and seeing our current world and everywhere we are going, not necessarily a Christian book, and yet profoundly Christian in the reality and understanding of sin, deeper than some of the more fluffy books that I read out there in the Christian realm. So I read that. I I just recently read a long biography on the history of uh, the life of Napoleon. First of all, I didn't know much about him, but secondly, he sold America what became 13 states. We know it as the Louisiana Purchase. Now, how does history fit together? Well, Napoleon needed money because he wanted to fight a war with Russia. Some Americans came calling, I believe it was Thomas Jefferson, I'm not sure, came calling and said, hey, we want to buy the port of Louisiana, uh, of New Orleans, because they knew the British were coming, and Napoleon needed the money. He said, hey, boys, I'll do you one better. I'll sell you one-fourth of the continent. Now, whether it was his to sell or not, who knows, but we bought it. And at three cents per acre, think of what a different history the United States would have had had Napoleon not been fighting Russia and been willing to sell us, or at least acquiesce to us, one-fourth of what we now know of as the United States. Just amazing how history all fits together. Right now I'm reading a book, uh, Walter Isaacson's book about Steve Jobs, Mr. Apple. I have an iPhone. You may be listening to this on an iPhone. You may have an, a Mac computer Uh, Apple, uh, at one time, was the largest company in the world. Mr. Jobs was not a nice man uh, in many ways, but he changed the world with his inventions and with his absolute lust for creativity. So, So why am I telling you all of this? Well, because history is interrelated. All of the events in the past lead up to the events in the future. And that's what the book of Revelation is. I've come to realize that the Bible is the most accurate book in human history. Archaeologically and in every other way, when it speaks, it speaks truth in every aspect and way. I've said that throughout all the episodes and will continue to say that because it's my search for truth. And I found it to be so truth, not anecdotal truth, but personal truth in my life as I studied the Bible. It also explains as well as foretells the events the book of Revelation does. So uh, if you don't have an understanding of the importance of the book of Revelation, you will never understand the purpose of history or God's purpose in creating mankind and this planet that we live on. So uh, that's a pretty heady introduction But this book, this book of Revelation, we ought to be consuming it. It's going to go in a thousand different directions for us because there are all sorts of different interpretations. History is progressive in its revelation. And by that I simply mean sometimes we don't understand the prophecies of God until they began to play out in front of our eyes. Uh, I'll refer back to something I've mentioned before, the history of, of Israel. Everybody thought that the nation of Israel was done. It was over. It was on the ash heap of history and and culture. There would never again be a nation in Israel. And yet the book of Isaiah says that in one day, the nation would be formed, a nation of Israel. For almost 2,000 years, that prophecy was laughed at until May 14, 1948. When by United Nations proclamation, whether they understood they were fulfilling prophecy or not, who knows, but they certainly did. And a nation was born as Isaiah 700 B.C. predicted. A nation was born in a day, and now we have Israel at the center of history, at the center of this book called the book of Revelation. So if you want to understand history, if you want to see where we're going, where we're heading, and my friend, we are going there rather rapidly in this culture, you need to understand the book of Revelation. Now, today we're going to look at the divisions of the book rather than be giving you some different subjects and titles. I will inject some of my interpretation, but I promise you, I will tell you, this is Mark's opinion. You don't have to accept my opinion. Study on your own. Study to to see what the Word of God says to you as the Holy Spirit uh, interprets, because that's what he always does when we genuinely begin to open up his scriptures we will see how the book of Revelation crescendos into the ultimate blockbuster of all movies, all of them combined, uh, because this is the the story of the end game of how this world will end. So today we'll uh, look at... Uh, the window into the future, and we'll begin with uh, some chapters. So I, I understand many of you are listening as you're running, working out, uh, perhaps driving down the car, road in your car or, or a vehicle, but uh, <clears throat> if you have opportunity, open up your Bible sometime. Uh, if you can do so now, I would encourage you to do that. 22 chapters in the book of Revelation, and I'm just going to talk through some divisions, at least through my mind's eye, as how the book of Revelation plays out. So let's begin. Chapter 1 is the the calling of John the Apostle, Jesus' best friend on planet Earth when he was here. And now, as an old man, probably in his 90s, Jesus appears to John on the island of Patmos, and he says, come on up, I'm going to show you some things. John gets to see his friend, Jesus, now glorified in his heavenly manner, and he describes that in chapter 1. John is commanded to write down things concerning the future. Again, I will say there are multifold Interpretations, and I'm not here to uh, promote any certain interpretation. I will give you mine, but uh, take that with a lot of grains of salt and find out what the Holy Spirit would say to you. But chapter one, we see the heavenly Jesus, and we see the victory that he has won through his death and, of course, his resurrection. Keys in his hand, as we see in chapter one. What a wonderful picture! What a wonderful reunion! John has with this man he had spent three four years walking around on the planet Earth, and then now to have this appearance again. So that's chapter one. Now we get into chapters two and three, and these are sometimes called the seven churches of Asia. They are indeed in Asia. Most of them reside in the country of Turkey. Uh, these seven churches are very mysterious. Jesus uh, gives uh, insight to uh, John and to us through these seven different churches. I won't go into all the different churches. You can look at them uh, as they are probably actual churches. But uh, the, the discussion is, do these churches represent ages? Some people believe that. Do they represent certain types of churches? Some people believe that. And there are many other interpretations, uh, certainly profound things in those two chapters, chapters two and three concerning the seven churches. I'll leave that to you in your own study to, to ferret out what you think uh, the Holy Spirit and Jesus is speaking to us in those chapters. Then there's a division, if you will. We go to chapter four, chapters four and five. John is called up to, and Jesus actually says to him, I'm going to show you the things that must come, the things that are ahead. He begins in the throne room of God, chapters four and five, amazing. We sing a song here at our church called Revelation Song, which really takes the scriptures of, of uh, Revelation four and five, combines them together in a musical song that's, that's profound and powerful. Uh, so we see the throne room of heaven. We spoke about that a little bit last week. But I want to make a, a distinction here as we move from chapter 3 to chapter 4 and it comes into my interpretation of what I think this is saying or what the book of Revelation is revealing to us. From chapter 4 on, there is no more mention of the church. It seems about rather odd to me, and again this plays into my personal interpretation, but it seems that all of a sudden the church is gone vanished there's no church to fight the fight there's no focus there's no encouragement for the church to hold on in faith uh, there's just no mention of the church there are a mention there is a mention of the progression of uh, catastrophic events that are about to come up on the earth some are uh Astronomical, in other words, there are stars falling into the ocean, a star wormwood, and, and all kinds of changes in the in the heavenlies, the second heaven, if you will, the outer space, as we would call it. Uh, Some of the uh, catastrophic events are meteorological. There are famines and plagues and changes, or true change, true climate change, not the foolishness that we hear in the world today from uh, politicians and such, but true climate change and and with some very ultimately horrible results. And then there are also some man-made issues, wars, rumors of wars, persecution, mandatory worship, Total control of the economy. In other words, you can't buy or sell without a certain mark, a certain uh, status symbol, if you will. Uh, Also, the governments of the world have coalesced into one world government. Bad things are happening on every front. Many people, including myself at least, uh, in this uh, understanding, believe that, that uh, chapters 4 on to chapter 20 in Revelation are describing what perhaps you've heard of as the tribulation period. These seven years of horrendous events culminated in a massive war. Now again, this is my interpretation how Lindsay, many many years ago wrote a book about this. Uh, others who have uh, written concerning the end times tend to believe that uh, that that this uh, chapters four to 20 are describing a time when the Holy Spirit, in a sense has been removed from the planet Earth. The Holy Spirit is like salt and salt is a preservative. let's put it this way the church. We are the salt of the earth, Jesus said. But when, what happens when every Christian on planet Earth is removed? What would the world be like if there is no restraining of evil? Well, Revelation chapter 4 through 20 might give us a little indication of what that might be. So again, you can begin to understand it with your own ideas and and read it and let the Spirit of God speak to you. But uh, I'm presenting to you that I believe that Revelation 4 through 20 describes uh, in in all of its uh, different manifest ways the tribulation period, these seven years of horrendous, unbelievable, cataclysmic events taking place. There is that war that I mentioned, and the Bible names that war. Uh, it defines the armies, and it even identifies where this massive last battle will take place. And it takes place in Israel, not in South America, not on North Dakota, uh, not in Russia, but in Israel. In fact, the Bible says very specifically it takes place in a valley known as the Jezreel Valley. Uh, Also, that Jezreel Valley is known as the Valley of Megiddo, taking its name from the city of Megiddo. Or, as we put it together in the Latin form, there is the War of Megiddo, or Armageddon, Armageddo, the War of Megiddo. And the Bible defines how uh, horrendous, how, how incredible it will be, uh, how much bloodshed there will be, the numbers of people. Uh, we've all heard about Armageddon, of course. And Revelation is where this comes from. So uh, chapters 4 through 20 talk about uh, this, this battle that's going to take place. Uh, there is also, in, in these chapters, we see the, the culmination of satanic history. And by that, I mean Satan began this whole process. We, we started back in Genesis 1, 2, with the creation of, of the world, the universe, and everything was great. And then we come to, Revol- to Genesis chapter 3, and Satan appears in the Garden of Eden, and mankind falls. And from that point on, we began to talk about the Bible in terms of redemption, how can God redeem a fallen people? We saw it in Genesis 3 when, when God kills the first, sheds the first blood on planet Earth and, and kills an animal, perhaps a sheep, and gives skins to Adam and Eve. Uh, we see it later on in his curse to Satan where he talks to Satan and says, you will bruise his heel concerning Jesus, but he will crush your head. Uh, we see it through Abraham as Abraham becomes the messianic line, the genetic gene pool through which the Messiah would come who ultimately would hang upon the cross to redeem every human being. The book of Revelation is Satan's last gasp, if you will. What is his desire? It's his desire that we have seen. We see it in the book of Ezekiel and Isaiah. We saw it in Genesis, and we certainly see it on full display in the book of Revelation. Satan's ultimate goal has always been the same. He desired the worship of the world. And if, as I suggest, the church is gone, raptured, or caught up into the heavens, and perhaps you're familiar with the rapture theory or that idea there, read first. Thessalonians 4, if you want a little more understanding about it. But if the church is gone, and there is no restraining of Satan, and God's people His His uh, grafted in branches, because that's what the Bible calls the church, we have been grafted into Israel. If that graft is removed, the only thing that's left is Israel. And I would suggest to you that the entire focus of Genesis 4, Uh, excuse me, of Revelation 4 through 20 is the nation Israel. I think that can become very clear as you read through it. So we see so many of the events in Revelation centered geographically and religiously around Israel and particularly around the city of Jerusalem. The rebuilding of the temple, the third temple, if you will. We remember if you've been on this journey with me, the first temple was built by Solomon. It was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The second temple, the rebuilding of the temple, we see it in Nehemiah and Ezra uh, through the work of Zerubbabel and, and Haggai and others. Some of the Old Testament prophets refer to this rebuilding of the second temple, in which Jesus uh, ultimately uh, lived and or was dedicated in and ultimately turned over the money changers' tables. It was that second temple. Uh, we temple, excuse me. We sometimes call it Herod's temple that was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD. At this moment as I speak, there is no third temple. And yet many believe, including myself, having been to Israel a number of times now, every time I go, I go underneath the Temple Mount. Every time I go, I stand on top of the Temple Mount and I wonder, when is the new temple going to be rebuilt? I can assert to you with, with, with all that I believe, the Jews want to and are convinced that they will, some point in time, rebuild a third temple there in Jerusalem on that 13 acres known as the Temple Mount. So all of these things focus in on the nation Israel. The church seems to be gone. And uh, the nation of Israel seems to be awakened to a Messiah. Perhaps the, they may have come to the Messiah. We don't know. Again, some, some different interpretations. Paul says in the book of Romans that uh, all Israel will be saved. Perhaps it will be the rapture or this visible return of Jesus, not to planet Earth, but in the air that will awaken the nation of Israel to say, oh my goodness. This one that we crucified as a people, as a culture, uh, he really is God, and they may turn to him uh, with a a zeal that will uh, come to such a, a culmination here in these last seven years. Whatever your understanding is, certainly there is the potential of Jesus coming back the Bible is very clear he will return to the Mount of Olives uh, and uh, there will be a, uh, an amazing cataclysmic event with his return. Again, you can uh, study and read and, and come to your own conclusions. But my point is this, chapters 4 through 20 the book of Revelation are filled with all sorts of events taking place in and around the nation of Israel and all those nations that will be warring against the nation Israel, seemingly aligned with someone who is anti-Christ. We know him as the Antichrist, And, of course, you're familiar with 666 and the mark of the beast. And all of those things, they all take place during these chapters, these 16 chapters of the book of Revelation, and ultimately with the return of Christ. So those, those chapters from 4 to 20, are amazing chapters, and you can, again, read those. So let's close out this time talking about chapters 21 and 22. At, at this point, these last two chapters in the book of Revelation, we have a judgment. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. We have a whole new vision, a new heaven and a new earth of what the world will be like. History as we have known it over the last 6,000 years is over. And now, a new heaven, a new earth, a new understanding. Uh, the tempter is defeated. Uh, we read that he is bound for a thousand years. We'll touch on that next week as we talk about these two chapters. That'll be our, our final episode out of the book of Revelation. But but uh, just understand that something new is has taken place in chapters 21 and 22. So uh, I hope this has made some sense to you. I hope it's piqued some interest in you to read this amazing book and to seek to put it together uh, in your own mind and to your own satisfaction. But do understand this. Jesus spoke these words to the Apostle John as a foretelling of events that were coming. And I think we are living in a day when those events, perhaps for the first time ever, could actually take place. Could an army of 200 million people be fielded? It couldn't have when God, when Jesus spoke those words to John the Revelator, uh, John the author of Revelation uh, in 90 AD, 95 AD, but it can today, and China has that kind of an army. Could the world be under one world government? It couldn't have back then. Today, with technology and so many other things, uh, it can take place. Could all of the world be controlled by one simple mark? My friend, we're really close to that right now. All they have to do is shut off your credit card because most of us live by numbers. Our money is not cash in hand. It's numbers in a bank or in a database somewhere. Uh, The enemy would easily be able to control The buying and selling. I think I saw that during the pandemic, as uh, we could not get into stores and you couldn't buy uh, because the the goods were not there. Certainly controlled in many ways uh, by events going on on planet Earth. So who knows what is ahead for us? But for us as Christians, we should not be afraid of the Book of Revelation. We should be excited. In fact, the Bible says there's a blessing to those who read it because we will have the wisdom to speak to those who don't understand, hey, look, here's what's happening. Here's how that could be interpreted. And most importantly, you need to understand the last words of the book of Revelation as Jesus speaks his last words spoken in the Bible, red letters, if you have a red letter version where he says, behold, I am coming soon. We may be living in those days, my friends. Thank you for listening. Uh, Next week, we'll be talking about Revelation, the final chapter, and we'll put together particularly these last two chapters of the book of Revelation, chapter 21 and 22. Hope you have a blessed day. Thank you for enduring. Hope you've gained some knowledge, some wisdom, and uh, just thank you for being a part of this journey. Have an awesome day.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the 24-Minute Bible Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and look forward to continuing this journey to understanding the Bible, please subscribe to the channel. And if you would be so kind, please share it with your friends who might enjoy it as well. Join us next week with Mark Miner for another episode as we continue to explore how the Bible so beautifully fits together. May you have a blessed week. And may God be glorified in your lives.